Support for this podcast is brought to you by Dear Texas Leases. Dear Texas Leases, connecting hunters from all over the world with landowners in Texas looking to earn passive income through land leasing. For more, visit www.deartexasleases.com. You're listening to How to Make Your Land Work for You. Welcome to How to Make Your Land Work for You, brought to you by Dear Texas Leases. I'm your host, Greg Phillips, and I'm a corporate transactional lawyer living in Houston, Texas. However, my roots growing up, my mother and father are from East Texas, a small town called Grapeland, Texas. And I spent most of my youth in Grapeland. And now, as I've gotten older, I've reconnected with my rural roots. And my passion is working with rural America, rural landowners, on how to make their land work for them to generate income, to generate generational wealth from generation after generation after generation. My name is Brandon Leonard. Some would say I'm a city slicker from Houston, Texas. I'm a criminal defense lawyer by day and a city dweller trying to reconnect with my East Texas roots by night. Our mission for this podcast is really to have a conversation and talk about the benefits of rural land ownership. We hope that these conversations will encourage, empower, and educate landowners, especially in rural America, so that they use their land as a wealth building tool for themselves as well as future generations. This is our first attempt at a podcast, but we're gonna give it a shot, really because it's a topic that both Greg and I are passionate about. And we think that these are conversations that will hopefully be beneficial to all of you. In the 1930s, the country was going through the Great Depression. At the same time, a growing population increased the demand for food production from the rural agricultural community across the country. Electricity was a new technology that was revolutionizing cities across the world. At that time, much of rural America was unable to access this new technology because of the cost to serve these remote locations. To address this issue, in 1936, Congress passed the Rural Electrification Act to give farmers access to programs and funds that facilitated the development of infrastructure to provide power to rural America. By this time, rural rural America had tons of experience using the cooperative business model to allow farmers to thrive in the agriculture business. Therefore, it was only natural that these business organizations be used to bring electricity to these same communities. And so began the movement to organize rural electric cooperatives, business entities owned and operated by those living in the same rural communities that they served. Today, there are about 930 rural electric cooperative systems nationwide serving over 42 million consumers. Unfortunately, tens of millions of these same consumers are threatened today by the lack of access to high-speed, reliable internet, the same as their counterparts were threatened by no electricity in the 1930s. Fortunately, just like rural electric cooperative systems powered by rural America in the 1930s, 
broadband internet cooperatives can be used as a powerful tool to connect these same communities and build wealth for the member owners as well. On today's show, we will introduce the role that business cooperatives can play in eliminating the digital divide and how these organizations can be used to provide income opportunities that make your land work for you. All right, Brandon, I'm, I'm excited. I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm always excited and fired up when we start talking about, hey, how to make your land work for you in rural America. Let's let's get going. Yeah. Yeah, Greg, I'm excited as well. We got a great show today. Um, you know, last week we discussed a topic that uh, really affects over 30 million Americans in the United States, the digital divide. And we talked about some of the causes of the digital divide. Uh, mainly the cost prohibitive nature of building reliable networks to serve rural communities, which are in most cases uh, much less dense and therefore uh, less profitable uh, to traditional internet service providers. Uh, we also talked about who the digital divide affects, uh, everything from small businesses to the elderly population relying on telemedicine to students who've been forced into distance learning uh, by the recent pandemic. Yeah, I mean, that, that was a great show. And uh, I mean, if you haven't listened to that show, I, I encourage you to go back, all of our listeners, and Listen to that show. I mean, there's a lot of useful information, a great conversation about the digital divide. It was about the ta challenges that really we face as a country and really those who visit, you know, tourists and those that live in rural America because of limited access to high-speed Internet. And, uh, and this week, we'll continue that discussion. We'll talk about some ways that rural landowners can be active participants in eliminating the digital divide. And that's through the use of things like broadband internet cooperatives. And, you know, in addition, we'll talk about the benefits that a cooperative can provide to a community. We'll, we'll also talk about some of the potential financial rewards that can flow to landowners, rural landowners who participate as members of those cooperatives. So this, this is going to be a great show as well. Yeah, that's right. And, and and if you recall, a couple of episodes ago, we talked about co-ops. We introduced the concept of co-ops and the many ways that these business organizations can benefit rural landowners. And today we will build on that discussion. But in the context of talking about ways to bridge the digital divide and how these co-ops can be used to serve rural America. So as a recap for our listeners, Greg, why, why don't you give us a brief refresher on what exactly a co-op is and what it's used for? Yeah, no, that's a good good refresher. And, uh, you know, generally there there is no just general definition of, of, of cooperative. I mean, when you think about the word cooperative or a co-op, you know, it's a business that's owned and it's democratically controlled by the people who actually use its services. So it, it's made for a certain community to provide a certain service or good. Now we're talking about internet service. Those same people that it's servicing, they own it and they control it. So you typically find them in rural communities and uh, they provide a service to that community. And, and yet one unique thing about a co-op is that the owners are called members and these members not only use the goods and services, uh, but they own the co-op and they receive a distribution of profits that if any profits remain at the end of a year, those members will, will receive a, a profit. So it's not only made for them, 
for that community. They actually manage it and run it. And if there's money left over at the end of all said and done at the year, they receive a distribution. So it's an interesting setup. Uh, I mean, they look like any other businesses. They can own land. They can own facilities. They can hire employees. They institute good practices. I mean, uh, in many ways, they're they're similar to, to businesses, but they're also different. As we've said, this, the purpose of a co-op is to provide a service to its members or its members who are also owners. They control it and they receive distribution of profits. And it's different than a normal business because most normal businesses really serve the needs of the shareholders or whatever, the, the greedy shareholders to make profits. So that's a co-op. That's right. what a co-op is. Okay. All right. And so, and so, you know, some of the examples that we talked about, we talked about purchasing co-ops, agricultural co-ops, uh, forestry co-ops, which we uh, hope to talk about more and cover more in uh, future episodes. But tell me about this idea of a digital co-op, a broadband co-op. What is it and why would something like this be necessary? Yeah, no, I, 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 this is just a great concept to leverage what's been done before successfully in rural America. So a, a broadband co-op, it would simply be a business organization, as we said, owned and operated by its members. I mean, it's and, and just for the purpose of discussion, the, the members would be landowners in a rural community, for example, the same people who are affected by the digital divide that we talked about last show. And, and the purpose is twofold. I mean, a broadband co-ops, it's created to give these communities access to high-speed, reliable broadband internet, which they don't have. Secondly, it provides them a great value for the members in the form of profits when these co-ops do well. So, so remember, the biggest problem we talked about last show is that high-speed broadband internet, it's just too expensive and cost-prohibitive to build in rural America. We talked about it costs anywhere from $30,000 to a $100,000 in some cases to, to lay fiber, which is necessary for, for traditional high-speed internet. So co-ops give those communities where it just it's, it's cost prohibitive. It gives them the power to work together as a business to overcome these challenges and provide internet service to those communities. So that, that's, that's what a broadband co-op is in summary. Okay. So so how is it structured and, and, and how would a broadband co-op operate? Yeah, let's say you have a group of owners uh, with a combined you know, number of acres of land in a rural community. And, and these landowners would get together and they form an organization, they form a business. And the purpose of that business would be to provide high-speed internet service to their community. You know, they, would, they would need to partner, you know, one thing they would need to partner with the internet provider that brings the right technology for that community, that works best for that community. You know, we mentioned about laying fiber in the ground. Well, there's technologies that they can put on water towers. You may not have to lay that, that fiber. So you, you find the right technology partner that can bring a technology that works for that community. And, uh, and, and they partner with the landowners. The landowners provide some financial resources or they go find it as well as access to their land. And, uh, of course, their land will be used, you know, for the technology to provide the Internet access. And in exchange, the co-op uh, the co-op is owned by the members. And, and those would be those landowners in that community. And as we've said, they will receive payments in the form of, of the business of, of subscriptions or fees for the service. So 
they pay for the internet service uh, through the network, through the co-op. And as we've said, if it's profitable, they'll get a return. That's basically, in summary, how it would work. Okay. So it sounds like what you're saying uh, is that if I, for example, if I own rural land and I participate in a broadband co-op, then essentially the co-op and its members would operate as a utility company or in a sense, an internet service provider that uh, would serve those who live and who visit the same rural communities. That's exactly right, Brandon. That's exactly right. Okay. So, but, but, so help me understand this. How does it work? If I'm a limited resource landowner in rural America, or I'm a city slicker who happens to own property in rural America, which like and you I are. know, <laughs> right, like I am, um, and I know little about rural America and less about operating a public utility. Like, how how can this co-op? How can this organization that I'm a part of? How can it be successful? Now, that's the beauty of a co-op. It, it's in a co-op, it, it's not you, the landowner, right, uh, who, who may be absentee living in a city running the business. Co-ops are professionally run, just like any business organization. As the members, you're not responsible for the day-to-day -day operation to go run it. You, you elect a board of directors, and the board of directors, they're going to go hire professionals who run and operate the co-op. So you get the benefit of having experts operate the business on your behalf. So you don't have to be in the day-to-day -day operations. That's the beauty. So here's what I want to know. Um, if building the infrastructure was too expensive for someone like a Comcast or Comcast or some of these other companies, how can I, how can myself um, and the other landowners or members of the co-op, how can we afford such an expensive and, and costly endeavor? How, how are we going to build uh, a network to support uh, broadband high-speed internet? Yeah, and no, it's true, Brandon. As we've talked about, high-speed internet projects, they have significant capital costs. You know, we talked about in the, in the in the millions of dollars. And, you know, at the start of there was those projects. And even once they're completed, you know, it's a lot of capital costs to keep them going. But however, co-ops, they're uniquely positioned to, to raise money from members or banks or investors and their other programs supported by state and federal governments that uh, really give them a competitive edge. These public-private okay. partnerships, uh, they, it's a competitive edge that private entities really don't have. And, and for one thing, the co-ops don't have to make high profit margins to feed, as I mentioned, the greedy investors. I mean, their focus and okay. goal is really to serve the community. So even the price points can be uh, cheaper or lower price points, and I they see. don't have to drive the margins that a typical business has to. A majority of co-ops, they, uh, they've taken advantage of at least, you know, one of many federal and state funding programs to make these investments feasible. So there, there's just a lot of opportunities uh, for co-ops. So I see. I see. So what types of advantages do these federal and state funding programs give cooperatives? That's good. It's a good question. I mean, one example is that, I mean, many of these programs are designed to provide investors, you know, such as banks. Okay, banks. There's a big issue with banks giving loans to uh, low-income and rural communities. So the government allows banks with okay. credits against their, their uh, 
federal income taxes in return for new investments made in eligible, you know, rural communities, projects like we're talking about, like these okay. co-ops. And these are called reinvestment tax credits. Um, so th that's an example. So under normal circumstances, uh, you know, you're right. Uh, starting a public utility would be cost prohibitive for folks like me and you, but, uh, you know, even families that own rural land. But when you have these programs that are backed by the state or federal government, and they incentivize the creation and ownership and participation in these co-op organizations. See. They make them feasible. They help you to get going. Gotcha. So I read in January of this year, uh, January of 2020, the federal government launched a $20 billion, that's billion with the yep. B, uh, Rural Digital E-Connectivity America Opportunity Fund yep. uh, to expand rural broadband to rural America. And, and this is specifically aimed at tackling the digital divide, right? That's so exactly right. My, my question is, how can a landowner in rural America or a co-op for that matter in rural America uh, benefit from this program? Yeah, my first response is, you know, we're as we always say we're not pretending to be the experts. So sure. anyone interested should reach out to their local USDA uh, office in their community. But there are a lot of, as you mentioned, a $20 billion rural digital e-connectivity America opportunity fund. Yep. I mean, cooperative broadband projects can That's receive grants or loans from that $20 billion fund. Is there, There's other federal stimulus programs and there's other groups out there that can assist. There's, you know, I'm just going to list them. But again, go do your research. Go talk to your local USDA office, or sure. you know, go to the internet. There's the rural broadband initiatives that are administered by the USDA. In, in addition to this fund, uh, for telecom activities and other activities that are tangential to uh, okay. broadband internet. There's real rural utility services and funds. Your local co-op may be interested, your local electricity electricity co-op or water co-op may already be tapped into some opportunities to help with infrastructure funds. There are other programs. There is rural, there is a rural cooperative development grant um, organization that the federal government wow. has set up to help get these co-ops started. There's also the Federation of Southern Cooperatives based out of Atlanta that is very active in assisting, especially for uh, underprivileged or economically disadvantaged groups. They're very okay. focused on creating co-ops for them. You know, we work with the Landowners Association of Texas and their efforts, and, and, and they're very involved in wanting to get more co-ops formed here in Texas. So there are many resources out there. Lots and of resources. Co cooperatives, they should be the foundation of bringing high-quality Internet service to rural America. That's awesome. That's excellent. And, and you know, we touched on it in the introduction, uh, but the idea of a utility co-op, uh, this, this is not new, right? I mean, this is similar to how utilities were brought to rural America in the 1930s, correct? So this, this, this whole idea of, um, you know, a utility co-op, this isn't new. It's, is that fair it, to say? It's nothing new. And you know me, Brandon. Let's not reinvent things. Let's go find <laughs> what's out there and how to use yep. resources. You may need to reconfigure it. But, yeah, that's correct. The 1936 Rural Electrific Electrification Act, uh, that was part of uh, President FDR, Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal legislation, you know, part okay. of the legislation that gave resources 
in the form of government-sponsored education and programs and loans. It was designed to incentivize bringing electricity to rural communities back then. And you know what these uh, communities did? They they took those funds and they they trained, they gained training, and they started co-ops, electricity co-ops that built much of what is our modern-day power grid. I mean, that's how we got the power grid from these types of activities. Why not build on that now? Sure. Yeah. So today we have, you know, kind of that same challenge. Yesterday it was electricity, but today it's a lack of high-speed uh, internet access. And uh, sounds like what you're saying is, you know, you, you believe that broadband co-ops can help address the challenge uh, of the digital divide that we face today. So, wow, that's, that's really a great example of how we can uh, learn from history. So, um, so what's the first step? If I wanted to start uh, a digital broadband co-op or if I wanted to participate, uh, where, would I, where would I begin? Where would it begin? I mean, step one is, is education. And, and that starts at the grassroots level in the community. You need, a, I always say, you need cheerleaders in the community. You need sponsors in the, you need people that are invested in that community. If, if landowners in the community are interested in forming a co-op, then there sure. needs to be, you know, a, a, a committee, a steering committee or a marketing committee, whatever you want to call it, comprised of community members okay. and the landowners. And they, they educate the landowners in the community about the benefits and the challenges of this type of business organization, as, as well as start getting into the details of develop, developing the business and the financial plan. So that's a first step, education by members in the community taking ownership to go now drive education throughout the community about this potential benefit for them. Okay. And how does the marketing committee or steering committee, how do they, how do they accomplish that? And I think they should do it, you know, grassroots, right? The, the, let's just say marketing committee, they should travel the co-ops community, go out into the community to conduct educational marketing sessions, you know, like for example, maybe a, uh, uh, three a day, you know, you can do morning, afternoon, and then in the evenings, you know, one or, you know, an hour each. It could maximize educational opportunities. They could uh, go door to door, knocking on the doors. Once we get through okay. this COVID, you know, uh, crisis, you know, get out to the community and go door to door to uh, promote the project. Uh, they can conduct surveys uh, to collect data to really understand the needs. Who, who, who needs high-speed internet? Who's getting harmed? What's happening to our students? What about telemedicine? Do a survey. That's a very important step. And, you know, con conduct mail-out campaigns to educate and explain the benefits of a broadband co-op in the community. You know, spe speak and partner with the other community organizations like the schools and the, the parent-teacher associations. Uh, sure. Uh, engage in social media marketing, too, to get the word out of, of what's happening. Facebook, Twitter, you know, have a have a landing page on a website, do billboards. I mean, that one of the, you know, I tell you, uh, yard signs. I, I tell mm -hmm. you, for us, when we lost high speed internet at our place in Grapeland, when mm -hmm. when we had fiber internet that they just stopped doing, guess what got me to say, okay, there's another alternative. We mm -hmm. would drive by in the area and we'd see these yard signs of of HughesNet satellite internet offering. Okay, and I said, oh. There's a number. Let me call. Uh, so There's yard signs. Yeah, they have country fairs like in Grapeland, Brandon. You know, you, you, you tell me you took your wife up there and y'all were just friends, but I knew what you were doing <laughs> in, at the peanut festival. The, the country fairs, right? 
Uh, Drew Rand. Yeah, I know, she I know. Couldn't resist me after that. That's what my that's what my mother told me when she met her up there at the Peanut Festival. The Grapeland Peanut Festival was where Brandon met his wife. <laughs> but but those country fairs, right? Set up booths. Right. Set up right. boots and great uh, idea. talk about it. Advertising in the local community newspapers. I mean, the, the marketing committee or the steering committee should serve as a model to really educate that community about what the need is and what the opportunities are. And uh, to help make sure that the effort meets the specific needs of that community. Got it. Got it. So after the education process, uh, what what happens next? What's the next step? Well, next after that, you get the word out and people start getting interested and you start up all of this, this energy and effort. There really needs to be a feasibility study. You know, when you think about a feasibility study, that's getting into, okay, is this possible, right? I mean, we talked about you know, laying fibers, $30,000 to $100,000 a mile. Well, man, if that's going to, uh, if the co-op needs to go do that, that's not feasible. So sure. is there technology out there that will allow us to avoid some of those problems? Do a study. That's where you have to partner with the technology company. And, 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 and let me, so on this idea of a feasibility study, like how, just in general, how does that work? Who conducts that? Who puts that together? So, how do, how do, I don't even know if I should say this, but in our area up in East Texas in Houston County, and I'm just going to say things broadly, there is currently a company that, and I'm not going to say the name, I don't think they're ready yet, but sure. they are conducting a feasibility study in, okay. in that area. So here's what they're doing to explain what that means. We know that it costs thirty dollars to $100,000 to lay the traditional fiber that's needed for traditional high-speed internet. Right. This company has developed a different type of technology. They can put their, their Wi-Fi or high-speed broadband technology, they can put them on top of water towers. So when you're driving through rural America, you see these water towers, you know, usually the local high school football team's mascot sure. is on them. They can put the, this, these, these devices on top of water towers, mm -hmm. and then they can, they can shoot out the, the Wi-Fi signal, a broadband signal, you know, for... For example, three to five mile diameter around the water oh, wow. tower. Nice. They don't have to lay fiber. That that's right. inexpensive, and uh, it's not as expensive as doing that. Guess what they're doing in the Crockett Grapeland area? They have installed mm -hmm. right now one water tower, and they're testing it to see how it works in the area. Okay. They're looking for current residents and businesses who can sign up for free to participate in tests. Once they oh, nice. test, they collect the data, they see how the weather, weather interferes with it and how it works, how far they can mm -hmm. transmit their signal. They collect all that data, and then they wrap a business plan around the technology, knowing gotcha. how it's going to work in the area. Once they collect that data and draft the business plan around it, there you go. You've got your feasibility study done saying, we can do this. It can work. Or maybe it doesn't work, and we got to try something new. So you, you don't start, exactly, you don't start until you have all this figured out. And that's what a feasibility study is. And and you can go get government grants and funding to, to just conduct a feasibility study alone. And maybe that tells you, maybe it's not a good idea in your community. Like you said, you go back mm -hmm. to the drawing board. And you, by the way, there are other types of investment. You can get, you know, investors in the community and you get, um, like we said, uh, there, there are what's called, uh, foundations that may be interested in this type of mm -hmm. effort to to help uh, 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 communities in, in rural America. So there are so many opportunities out there. And, and, and you got to think about things. The business plan is going to have, 
you know, recruiting the right managers or personnel sure. and it's going to have the operational and strategic planning and, and, you know, what type of board you should have and financial management activities. And that that's what the business plan would do. So, you know, those are the steps, Brandon. That's what I would propose if people wanted to start looking into this. It takes some work, but boy, it can be a real benefit for your community. Wow. Yeah. And it, I mean, it really sounds like uh, broadband co-ops are really a great way for landowners to take ownership and and have a role in, in not only building the infrastructure that gives them access to high speed Internet, uh, but also share in uh, some of the financial rewards that come with uh, providing this service and building these communities as well. So that's exactly um, right. I, I mean, wh yeah. why start from scratch when it's already been proven with utility co I mean, uh, you know, electricity co-ops and with water co-ops, it's already been done. This is yep. just the next wave. Just, just follow the model. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exciting. All right. All right. Well, I think that's, uh, I think that's all we have for today, Greg. So we have, but don't, don't you have yeah. something you normally do that's real interesting? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, before we go, I got to reach into my, uh, strange but true files to send us right. home so uh right. so let's see what we got here today so uh we'll stay in texas because you know everything is big in texas everything's always happening in yeah. texas oh yeah so <laughs> texas where it's happening that's where it's at there you go <laughs> uh so a texas county game warden was fueling up at a gas station when he noticed a man in a nearby truck putting ice in a cooler and he struck up a conversation they learned that the man was putting ice on a quarter deer he had just harvested. Uh -oh. so, so they asked to see the head and the tag. The man explained that he had left the head and the tag back at his hunting camp. Uh -oh. When he asked for his hunting license, he produced a license without any missing tags. The warden followed the hunter back to his deer lease to retrieve the deer head and complete the investigation. A citation was issued for possession of an untagged deer and a warning for failure to complete the harvest log. Cases are pending. Mm, that's a tough, tough, <laughs> horrible lesson. You know, that's interesting. You know, our, our partner, John, was telling me a similar story. He, he, he had, he, you know, opening day, he, he, he uh, bagged a, a very good-looking 12-point buck, and it, mm -hmm. he was getting gas coming back to Houston and he had stopped at a uh, gas station to fill up. And he said a game warden drove up and similar thing. He wanted to see his tags. And of course, you know, wow. John did things perfectly. But <laughs> you hunters out there, just follow the law. Follow, follow the, the law. law. There but, you go. Uh, play it safe. Play it safe. Now, good good show. These are, this is fun. And, and the I fun agree. part about this, Brandon, is it is there's a wealth of information to help rural landowners make your land work for you, generate income, make that land an asset, generate wealth. It, it, it's all out there. And, um, you know, we That's hope right. you've enjoyed today's show. I mean, but tune in ne next week. We've got more coming and we're going to talk about some other types of co-ops and some other benefits to rural landowners on how to make your land work for you. Brandon, I enjoyed it. I'm looking forward Same to here, uh, more discussions and this is just, just great. Let's keep it going. Most definitely. Absolutely. Take care. All right. We'll see you next week.